Well, I had a good breakfast this morning. Just thought I'd let you know. I don't always have good breakfast on Sundays because it's a bit of a rush driving in from, uh, from Abbotsford. But I had my soft-boiled egg on toast. Anyone like no one? Come on. Okay, I see a few hands. So, but, you know, I love, the, the, I love eggs and toast. And so I, I made my five-minute egg. And I looked up this recipe. I don't understand. It says boil water, start with cold water. I'm going, why do I need to start cold water. If I start with hot water, then it's that much faster to boil. But anyway, um, anyway, I got my, my egg and put on my toast, and my third bite in, I found some eggshell. And I, I, there's something about an eggshell crunching in my mouth that just, it's like, it's like nails on a chalkboard. Remember chalkboards? We used to have those. I can't use this illustration for many, many years, but it's like something that makes me just cringe, and so I have to run over to the garbage and spit out this mouthful of crunchy eggshell. And it's, it's like everything is great until you taste that eggshell. And so I know it's a very weird illustration, but Romans chapter 9 is kind of that eggshell. We're not going to spit it out, but it makes you have to stop and, and say, what's going on? It's like all, for eight chapters of doctrine and teaching that the Apostle Paul has given, and then there's a couple of really challenging verses that we have to come to understand, figure them out. And so uh, I remember a couple of weeks ago, a woman stopped me in the foyer and said to me, Pastor, I'm so glad you're studying through the book of Romans because I have never understood chapter 9. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going, oh no, here, I got a good challenge on my hands. <clears throat> so what Paul is doing is teaching the church in Rome uh, all about what they need to know uh, about uh, salvation, different things going on. Uh, doctrines and teachings, and then he opens up a little bit of a personal moment. He, he pulls back the door of his heart, and he expresses some personal pain that he is feeling because his people, his fellow people, the Jews, were rejecting Jesus. He, he has been working so hard to bring the message of the gospel to the Gentiles, and now he reveals that he's really kind of heartbroken, that is, his past friends and relationships and everyone he used to hang out with don't understand the importance of Jesus Christ. They don't accept Jesus to become the promised Messiah, and, and, and it's, it breaks his heart. He knows how privileged the Jews were for being chosen as God's people. He knows how they were given the, the, um, the patriarchs of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He, they were given revelations, instructions by God on Mount Sinai, the covenants, the laws, the prescriptions for worship, and all the promises that were given to his people. Yet they were blind to the truth of Jesus. Even when the Son of God stood right in front of them, time and time again, the Messiah was right there speaking truth to them. They turned their backs, rejected him, and eventually crucified him. Their hearts were hardened and opposed to any thought that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ of God. So Paul, like Moses in the book of Genesis, the uh, book of Exodus, uh, Paul says, I wish there was some way that I could be accursed and so that they could have salvation. He's willing to kind of give his, his own salvation up if only he could bring to, um, the, the truth to the people and have them accepted. Moses did the same thing. God, don't, don't destroy your people. Destroy me instead. Uh, there's a, a big heart for his people. And I was thinking to myself, who, 
Who would I be willing to give my salvation up for? Like, there's a handful of people I think that I could bring myself to say, okay, God, I, if you could save these people, I'm willing to give it, give it up. It's, it's not possible in, in that regard, but if it were, who would you be willing to give your life for or eternity for? Well, that's Paul, his big heart for people. This, the scriptures talk about there's no greater love than a person gives up their life for their friends. Well, that was Paul trying to demonstrate in Romans chapter 9 that he even would hope there was a way, anything at all costs, to bring his people to salvation. He had a big heart for his nation. He was well-versed in the history of his people. He knew that time and time again, generation after generation, they kept turning away from God, chasing after other idols, following the religious practices of the, the pagan tribes all around them. They, they, were, they, were not, they were not loyal. They were not faithful. Yet in the midst of all that, there was a remnant of people that were faithful. There was a remnant of people, a handful of people, that still followed, they followed what the prophet said. They, they understood the parables that Jesus was speaking. They, they were willing to accept the truth when, it was, when they heard it, but so many others would not. There's always been, let's say, a remnant, uh, a smaller group amongst the crowds that got it, that understood it, that believed the message when it was told to them. Romans chapter 9, verse 6 says, But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. This means that it's not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. It's an interesting verse because what it's saying is going against what the, the Jewish people had thought all along. They were uh, of the lineage of Abraham. Abraham is our father, they say. Paul is saying it's not it's not exactly true. He may be in your DNA, but it's the spiritual lineage we're looking at here. He's saying you might have great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents that were connected to Abraham, but all along the way, people fell off. People were unfaithful. People chased after idols. It says, but there were those who didn't, those who hung in there, those that believed those that were acceptable to God. And he says, it's those, it's that lineage, that tradition, that uh, heritage of faith is what I'm looking for. So don't count on who your parents were, who your relatives were, what tribe you come from. Count on the fact that the Spirit of God is living in you and bringing you to salvation. So now to the, the eggshell. Uh, Romans 9.13, there's two verses in, in this chapter that are bothersome. And uh, so this, this verse, 9.13, says, in the words of Scripture, uh, God is speaking. I loved Jacob, but I hated Esau, or I rejected Esau. Some of your translations, if you read this verse, it says, I hate Esau, I hated Esau. And, and I, I just, it, doesn't, it doesn't sit well with me, because we're supposed to be about loving your neighbor as yourself, about loving God and loving one another. What is this hate stuff? Well, you can read a word in the Bible that's translated from Hebrew or, or Koine Greek into English, and it doesn't always carry the full meaning of, of what this word represents. And so uh, you could, we could translate this several different ways to make it more understandable. The easy way is to say hate, because that was maybe the general use of that word. But in, in understanding this verse, and looking at the character of God as well, and we'll get to, to another verse in a minute, 
What this could be saying, in a better way, is I, I chose Jacob, but I didn't choose Esau. I tested and found Jacob's faith to be true, but I tested and I found that Esau wasn't going to be a part of the plan. He wasn't willing to be used. He wasn't going to follow in my ways. In fact, uh, if, if, uh, if you look through the history of Esau's descendants, they became the Edomites. They became one of the most evil people and tribes of all the 12 tribes uh, that were around. They were in the hill country to the east of uh, where God's people were in, the, in Palestine. And they were constantly, constantly drawing people into evil. So what, what this passage to me is saying is not about hate or love. It's about choosing and not choosing. It's about seeing who's worthy and who's not, who's willing to follow and who's not. And all throughout the scriptures, God chose certain individuals through which he did a mighty work, even, even like Moses, even like Abraham, even like Noah. They were chosen because he had a special work and they were receptive to hearing him. Others weren't, didn't have a spiritual radar up waiting for God to speak. Throughout history, we've seen people like William Wilberforce or Billy Graham chooses people to accomplish mighty things. He also chooses groups or organizations for the same purpose, like tribes and families and churches and ministry organizations. He chooses groups through which he wants to reveal himself or do an interesting thing in the world. So out of all the people on earth, God chose to work through the lineage of Abraham. And he made a covenant with Abraham to bless his descendants Actually, for all time. They are part of an ongoing covenant. But God worked through Abraham's son Isaac next. So Abraham, his lineage to Isaac, and he decided, uh, okay, out of all the people on the earth, Abraham's the guy. He's the one I want to work through. He's, I'm going to create an entire people out of this one guy. So the, the Jews were created from his descendants. Well, he picked uh, Abraham's son Isaac. He didn't pick uh, the other son, Ishmael, from Hagar, he picked Isaac from Rebekah. Then he chose to work through Isaac's son, Jacob, but not Esau's family. Then he chose to work through Jacob's 12, 12 sons, which became the 12 tribes. So there's an ongoing relationship through Abraham's descendants, but there's always other descendants, other children, other relatives that he said, yeah, no, they're not, they're not, not going to be faithful. I can't work through them. They're not going to be um, compliant with what I want to happen. So he says, God has mercy on those who call out to him, even after they've sinned grievously. But he does not have mercy on people who do not call out to him. In other words, if you cry out to God, there's lots of mercy and lots of grace for you. But if you're ignoring God, rejecting God, turning your back on God, cursing God, it's just not a lot of mercy available because you're, you're not willing to receive it in the first place. He demonstrates his love towards those who come before him with reverence and faithfulness, but demonstrates his wrath against those who are stiff-necked and rebellious. And I use the word demonstrate because he wants everyone to see what, what happens when you follow God, you, you're blessed. And when you reject God, there's, there's judgment. There's penalties for sin. It's just the consequences of turning your back on God. You get what, it, what comes with that. There's a series of contrasts through this chapter between those whom God chooses and those he does not choose. So between those he blesses because of their faithfulness and those whom he pours out his wrath due to their ongoing sin. And between majority of people that decide that God is not worth following and the, the remnant, the small, the small group of people that get it, that understand it, that have hearts open to the spirits working in their life. There's a broad way that leads to destruction. 
But the remnant people, the smaller group of people, they take that narrow road leading to everlasting life. So Romans 9, 18, it says, then God has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. This is another kind of eggshell verse to me. It, it, it implies that he's going to have mercy on certain people, but on others he's going to make it so that they never turn to him, he, that he hardens their hearts so that they are not pliable or they don't even want to listen. And that verse bothers me because it doesn't seem to fit with the character of God. It doesn't seem to fit with the, the new covenant we have in love and grace and mercy through the, the New Testament. A lot of stuff happened in the Old Testament that we raise our eyebrows at going, oh, you know, did that really happen? But most of it, the harshness, the things that happened were because of hard hearts, because people refused to turn to God, because they rejected God, because they were uh, working against his people, and he stood up for them. He protected them. John Wesley has a good explanation for this verse. He doesn't say that God hardens people's hearts and prevents them from coming to him. What Wesley says is their hearts are already hard. It's like the Pharaoh of Egypt, which comes into chapter 9 here. The Pharaoh hardened his heart against the people of Israel, would not let them go to worship God in the wilderness, to, to perform their religious practices. And so what God does is he just simply allows them to continue down that road of hardness. It's not that he's hardening their heart. He's saying, okay, this is what you want. This is what you get. You want to chase after your own uh, lusts and desires? I will let you do that. The Amplified Bible talks about people becoming stubborn and unyielding. They, they refuse to let God in. And, and once with Egypt, the Pharaoh, 10 times he had a chance to turn back to say, okay, 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 I give up. 10 times he didn't. Until it finally ended with something that he couldn't explain or deal with, the, the death of all the firstborn. And the Passover uh, happens, protected the remnant. God's people were protected. And it's, it's his own fault. He refused to bend, refused to yield, and faced the consequences of his own sin. And we look back at Romans, the very first chapter, it, it explains us a little bit better. It says, God shows, verse 18 in Romans 1, God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Verse 19, they know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. Yet, well, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Verse 22 Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. Verse 26, that's why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Verse 28, since though they, they thought it foolishness to, God, to acknowledge God, he abandons them to their foolish thinking and let them do the things that should never be done. Basically, he's saying, you get exactly what you want. And I will work with those people whose hearts are soft, who are pliable, who are open to the truth, but those who reject the truth, who are defiant, who are rebellious and unyielding, that's the road you will continue. But there are consequences, eternal consequences of that kind of a life. So it appears that God might be hardening hearts or preventing them from repenting, but to me that seems out of character for God. In, in fact, this, these chapters say the opposite. He simply chooses to not stop them from going down their own destructive pathway and experiencing the consequences of their choices. So uh, in, in verse 19, I bristle a little bit of, at Paul's response. He says, so 
People might say, well, what's the point? What's the point of following God if he hardens people's hearts and doesn't harden others? It's like, what choice do we have anyway? How about we just give up and do whatever we want? He says, no, no, you don't understand. First of all, he says, who are you to question God? Uh, no, that's, that's not the best answer uh, from my perspective. He's saying, you know, he's the potter, we're the clay. He shapes us and molds us according to his purposes, what he wants to do with us. Some he hardens and some he softens. Some he uses for noble purposes and others for ignoble purposes. Uh, and I still think it, it has to do with our willingness to follow God, our willingness to open up to his spirit, our willingness to serve him, to know him, to love him, to want to, to enter into his kingdom activity. So I like this idea that basically God is saying, I, I will choose to use people who are open to my spirit's activity in their life as a blessing, as, as a noble purpose, as a way of bringing the gospel message. When those who harden their hearts, uh, their purposes are going to be to show uh, everybody what the consequences of that is. So with, with Egypt, with Pharaoh, it says, the scriptures say, I will Harden his heart, and so that I will use him to display my power. And I will use him to, to show the world who I am through this little people, the Jewish nation. Uh, hard, hard hearts are used for God to display his power and how he can break the walls down. So the Jewish failure uh, to turn to Christ allowed for the Gentiles to come in. It was... Their hard hearts God used for good purposes for us to, to have the gospel. In the New Testament, it talks about not throwing what is holy to the dogs or not casting costly jewel, jewelry in front of pigs because the animals don't really appreciate holy things and jewelry. Uh, in fact, you'll make them mad and they might come and bite you. Where's the food? I want a corn cob, not a pearl. Proverbs 9, 7 says, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abused, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. What God is saying is, I will pour out my mercy and my love and everything I, I can give to those who turn to me. They're like my, my kids. They're my children. I want to bless them, encourage them, give them everything that they need for life and success. But those who reject me, who rebel, who turn their backs against me, who stiff-necked and rebellious people... All I have left is wrath. I have judgment. I have the consequences of their sins that they will have to face. He's not going to cast his pearls before those who will reject it and trample them underground. Paul, in chapter 10, makes another, uh, another contrast. Verse 4, he says, The coming of Christ uh, is, is another opportunity where Jesus... Were, uh, where the Jews were originally his chosen people through whom he, could, he revealed himself to the world. Now, since the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, salvation belongs to anyone who would receive the, the truth. He's saying, before it was only my people, the chosen people, but now I'm opening the doors wide open to anyone who would come in. Anyone who wants to be can be the people of promise, not just the people of DNA with Abraham, but the people of faithfulness, following the lineage of faith. It's, it's open to everyone. So the, the Jewish failure became the Gentiles' blessing. The remnant of God's people continues to pursue him along with the remnant of the Gentiles. 
Romans 9.27 is quoted here. It says, Isaiah was crying out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. It's hard to be a part of the remnant. It's hard to be the few who see the truth when the majority reject it or don't believe in it or say the Bible is full of myths and fairy tales and it's all you know, incorrect and it's got full of errors. They, just, they dismiss it as useless literature. And we know it has the words of life. It's hard to know the truth when you're in. It's like being a little candle in the midst of Carlsbad Caverns. It's like, you know, it, it lights up you and, and around you, but you're surrounded by darkness. And, and it's like this, this one candle is trying its hardest to, to dispel the darkness. It's like the darkness is closing in and trying to hold on. So it says in verse 33 of chapter 9, it's written, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, a stumbling block, a rock of offense. Whoever believes in him would not be put to shame. So it's like God says, okay, I'm going to just put my son right in the middle. I'm going to show you the truth, right? The Messiah is right here, right in front of you. You can argue with him if you want. You can accuse him if you want. You can watch all the miracles. And it's your choice whether or not you're going to follow him and believe him. He put, he put, you know, if you think about the Garden of Gethsemane is, and, and the, the, the tomb where he was laid and, and the, the cross uh, of Calvary, uh, the temple where Jesus was teaching, they're all within walking distance, right in the heart of God's people. And he was there daily in the temple and said, teaching, yet God's people rejected him. The majority turned their backs. It was the, the small, the, the few, the 12, then the 100, and then the 400, then began to trickle out to an in, impact person after person. You know, uh, they kept stumbling over their answers. They stumbled over their explanations for, for not accepting Christ. They stumbled over their inadequate justifications for rejecting Jesus. But denying the truth does not turn the truth into a lie. It just turns a person into a fool. Romans 10, verse 1, it says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, for the Jews, is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Paul knew about zeal. He was the most zealous person for God ever. Uh, no one was more zealous than God. It's just that he was doing it in ignorance. He was fighting against God. He was chasing down Christians. He was arresting people, followers of the way, and throwing them in jail until he met Christ. Everything changed. He went from being a persecutor to being a professor of the truth. And it all comes down to Jesus. Christ is the end of the law, meaning the old is gone, the new has come. Now it's through faith, not through obeying rules to achieve salvation. So Romans 10, 21 says, all day long, God is speaking, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. I'm standing there like the father of the prodigal son, every day going out to see if somebody will return, if somebody will come home, somebody will turn from their wicked ways and accept the truth, repent, and accept my love. I'm offering everything, and they're taking nothing. That's the true picture of God, like the father, the prodigal son, every day looking for the son's return. He's holding out his hands to people that continually reject him. Romans 10, 9, he says, if you confess with your mouth 
that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with your heart you believe and are justified, and with your mouth you confess and are saved. He's saying all day long God's holding out his hands, and here's, here's all you have to do. Just believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, and, and you can achieve the salvation that's offered to you. Confessing Jesus as Lord implies that you understand he was crucified, he was resurrected, and that if you accept everything he said in the scriptures to be true, you can be his follower. You can become a part of that spiritual heritage, the lineage that has always happened from the beginning. Believing that God raised him from the dead implies that you believe in the miraculous, that you understand it was exactly as prophesied in the Old Testament, that the same divine power is available to everyone who believes. According to this verse, these are the two most basic, fundamental components of salvation, to believe and confess, to become a child of God. And it goes on in verse 11 to say, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. But there's no distinction between Jews and Greeks, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone, listen, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. There's no distinction. It's open to everyone. Doesn't matter what your background is, what your heritage is, what your DNA is, you're looking. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Confess with your mouth, Christ is Lord. Believe in your heart, God. Raise him from the dead. Become a part of his family. Romans 10, 14 says, but how can they call on him unless they believe in him? How can they believe in him if they have not heard? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? How will anyone go and tell them if no one is sent? A bit of an indictment on the church that sit and study and, and encourage one another, but never leave the doors to take the gospel message. He's saying, we've got to send, we've got to share, we've got to speak, we've got to tell the good news. So last week I talked about different kinds of doctrines, and I talked a little bit because of what in Romans 8 it talks about predestination and, and free will, those kinds of things. Well, just to say that and lots of people construct doctrines that become the fundamentals of, of their faith. And I've encountered this with those that are, have Reformed theology or predestination because they, say, they, they believe that God predestines certain people to be saved and, and essentially they don't have a choice. They will become saved regardless of anything, any other factor. They're chosen for salvation. They will be saved regardless. And those that are chosen for destruction, eternal damnation, there's nothing they can do to be saved. They're, they're locked in. God decides at the very beginning who will be saved and who is going to be destroyed. And there's nothing you can do about it. So they say, why bother sending missionaries? Because we don't, if whether we send someone or not, they're going to be saved. And whether we send someone or not, those that are destined for destruction, they can't be saved even if they wanted to be saved, which they don't. So let's just stay home and have a party. No, I'm exaggerating. That's not fair. But it destroys this thing about we, we shouldn't bother to try and share the gospel because God will have his way whether we do anything or not. And Paul is saying it's not so. It's saying they can't believe unless they hear. And they can't hear unless someone goes to tell them. And, and who's going to tell them if no one is sent? What he's saying is that their hearing and their accepting is dependent upon us going and speaking. If without the, the, the sending and the, the speaking and the going and telling, there's going to be people that will miss out on an opportunity to be saved. That's, he's laying that before us. Who will go? 
Who will be sent? Paul says people are saved by believing in God after someone is sent to tell them. So it's our responsibility to go and tell. It's our responsibility to share this gospel, the good news. It's our responsibility to train up our young people to help them to know what the truth is, what the gospel is, what the freedom in Christ is. We train them, we equip them, and we, share, we show them how to share the gospel. We send them, we take them, we, 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 we support them as they go. We have several of our, our young adults that are feeling called into missions, feeling called to go overseas to share the gospel, people that haven't heard it. We heard even last week of someone saying, I want to go to to a, a country I can't name. Um, but that means it's even harder than going to a country we can name. So it means that we need to be praying and supporting even now for protection and for wisdom and for discernment and all the things that this person will need as they go. We need to be calling, praying now that God would raise up more young people that are willing to go. Pray that God would help people say, you know what, I've been a, an engineer all my life, but it's just not it's not fulfilling. I want, to turn, I want to become a missionary. I want to go support missions. I want to go over and be involved in God's activity. I want to take the message. Paul spent his entire life sharing the gospel, helping people encounter Christ, bringing the truth to people. And many times they beat him and stoned him and threw him in jail. They rejected him and his message. But it didn't stop him. He knew eternity was at stake. So what message have you heard today? I hope that you're hearing that you are chosen by God, that you are the remnant of people who have responded to God's call, that you are the faithful few. You are the ones who, who can make a difference in this world. You have the truth in your hands. Every day when you go to the grocery store, go to work, go to the meetings that you go to, impacting our community, our city, you have the truth. You have the power of God. Wherever you go, you're bringing all of God with you to that circumstance and that location. You can make a difference. Your light will shine with the power of God wherever he's placed you. We are to be a chosen vessel of blessing and righteousness, chosen to carry the gospel message to all who have not heard it so they can receive the free gift of salvation. How can they hear if nobody says what the truth is? Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, your, your scriptures, and particularly these, these two chapters of Romans, are, are tough to hear, but they're truth. They're supposed to pierce our heart, to, to change our mind, to help us to see your will, to accept the challenge that you're giving us as your people, as those you have called out of darkness into light, as those that you placed your light inside of us through the presence of Christ's spirit in us, guiding us. May we, Father, have the courage to do what you've asked us to do. May we be that remnant that stands up for truth and not just stands silent. We can make a difference, Father, as you work through us. Let us release our lives into your hands. Let us be excited about what the possibilities are as you and your spirit work through us, bringing truth in our situations. May we live lives that are even attractive to the gospel. People want to know, why are you happy? Why do you have hope? Why are you not depressed and discouraged all the time because of what's going on? Because so I've, got, I've got God living in me. I've got the power of Jesus to help me through this. May we be those testimonies, walking testimonies of your faithfulness to us. I pray this in Christ's name, amen.